Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the way maker. Lord, you are so much more. And Lord, you are moving and working in our midst. And God, I pray that you continue to do so. In the precious name of Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this. Amen. You may be seated. Um, for those of you who I have not had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is James Neal, and I'm the education pastor here at Central Baptist Church. And a few weeks ago, God gave me a message, burdened my heart with something that I got to share with the teens at student camp. And um, recently, um, Pastor Tom and Pastor Cameron asked that I share that message with you. And so um, just know that this message comes from my heart and it comes from lessons that I have learned, that things that I am dealing with, and that at no point am I really preaching to you. I'm really preaching to myself in which you get to watch. And so um, with that said, let's go, Lord, to prayer again. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you know my heart, and I humbly come before you and pray that you would work. God, I pray that you would move in your this midst, and God, that you would use your word to pierce our hearts as a double-edged sword. God, I pray that your word and your spirit would expose those things that need to be exposed. And Lord, that when they are exposed, we are be obedient to your spirit, we'll be obedient to your word to handle them as we need to. God, I pray that you would continue to fill me with your spirit. God, I pray that I would go to the background as you go to the foreground, as you are lifted up, that you might draw men, women, and children to you. I ask this in the precious name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Proverbs 16. We're actually going to be going to a few different passages throughout the Bible. That's going to be our starting point, Proverbs 16. And as you're turning to Proverbs 16, I just kind of wanted to let you know a little bit into me and how I think and how I work. Um, When I watch movies, TV shows, read stories, I am naturally drawn to the villain. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I can identify with the villain, but I like the villains. I like the villains, really. Seriously, I do love the villains. Like, I was the only kid growing up that wanted Cobra to beat G.I. Joe. Um, Looking back, that was a terrorist organization. That's terrible. But that's just the way that I am. And um, I like especially those kind of villains that are the masterminds, the ones that are thinking, and they are plotting, and they are thinking four steps ahead of the hero. They have all the different things lined up and ready to go. And my ultimate example of this is Lex Luthor. I, that's my favorite, is I love Lex Luthor. Now, listen, i got a reason for this. I really, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, you see, Lex Luthor's nemesis is who? Superman. And Superman, although I have some of his comics, I still read comics, by the way, I'm sorry. Um, I have some of his comics. He is like the ultimate superhero where he has like all of the superpowers. It's like he's not just indestructible. He also has super strength. He also has super speed. He also can fly. He can also have lasers that come out of his eyes and burn things. He can also have really cold breath. I don't know how that happens, but he does. Um, He can see through walls. He can do all these things. Like I mean, he has all these powers. Like anything he wants to do, he can do. Burning building, no problem. He just... 
goes in there, gets him, no problem. He doesn't have to worry about it. He has everything at his disposal. And his arch nemesis is Lex Luthor. And his superpower is nothing. <laughs> he's got nothing. He's got his mind. That's all he's got to combat this superhero that has everything. And so that's the reason why I'm kind of drawn to him. Because I'm like, man, he's got, he's got a tough go at it. You know, I'm sympathizing with the villain here. Um, but here's the thing. Is when you read those stories, the, the villain doesn't win. Lex Luthor doesn't win. And that's probably because they need to have good stories and good endings. But also, it's that usually there's something that comes into play for that villain, that mastermind, and that is pride. That they start telling their plan to the superhero, which is a terrible idea. Terrible. Don't tell your plan to anybody else. Or they don't think, they think, they don't take into contingency plans or these other factors that they just didn't quite figure out. And their plan falls apart. Actually, that's not just in comic books, though, and that's not just in stories or movies. That's actually a biblical principle about pride. And so look at Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Bible says that pride will destroy you. Pride will make you fall. And this is a very simple biblical principle that I believe that we're very familiar with. But here's, I believe, where we mess up. We try to limit what pride looks like and what pride is. We think of pride as arrogant pride. Like the person that walks into the room and they're just like, hmm. And I don't know why they walk like this, but they do. And they, they say, hey, look at me. I'm awesome. I'm great. When you talk to them, they just talk about themselves. And you're like, oh, my goodness, that person is so arrogant. That's like beginning pride. That's like easy pride. It's easy to spot. It's also easy to realize within yourself. You get that pretty quickly. But what I want to talk to you this morning about is the lesser known prides. The way that pride creeps into our hearts that we don't even realize it. And how it brings destruction into our life. Now I want you to know that the reason why I can preach this sermon is because I am an expert at this. Pride has ravaged my life. Where I remember in September when we were in here for life action And they had the night on pride and they had that test that I remember as I was going down those questions. And I had to keep on marking prideful instead of humble, prideful instead of humble, prideful instead of humble. And I was thinking, God, please, just let there be one question, please. And God broke me that night. And I would love to say that since then, I haven't wrestled with pride, but it's not true. Unfortunately, pride has crept into my heart. And continues to creep into my heart. That God has to continually bring me back into a place of brokenness and humility so that I can handle it. And if you can gain anything from my experience, then I hope that you will have an open heart and listen to what God has to say. So let's look at this. Let's start in Numbers. Turn to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers 32. 
not a normal book that we usually turn to that often, but it is inspired. It is the Word of God. Chapter thir- Numbers 32. Uh, I don't have time to give you all the context of what's going on here. Um, basically, Moses is talking to a tribe and dealing with them. But look at Numbers 32, verse 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And I want to read that second part again. And be sure your sin will find you out. The first area of pride that can creep into our lives is that I can outsmart everyone else. I can outsmart everybody else. And the way that this is applied is actually, there's two ways that I can apply this. The first is if you are here and are watching online and you are not saved, and yet you come to church and you play the game, you know when to stand, you know when to sit, you know when to raise your hand, you know the songs, you know it all, but you know you are not saved. And you think, well, I can just fool everybody. And nobody will ever know. Truth is, that's not true. You will be found out. You cannot fool everyone. It's a plain fact. Most importantly, you cannot fool God. And one day, even if on this whole earth nobody figures you out, you will stand before a holy God with your sin and your sin alone, and you will be judged on that sin. And there will be no hope at that point. You will be exposed. But more than likely, it won't take that long for you to be exposed. Because somebody will see you. Somebody will figure you out. And so, if that is you, I plead with you. Please, 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 come to the cross. And come to Jesus, where he has bore your sin and died for it was buried and rose again so that you can have a relationship with him and be clothed in his righteousness so that when you stand before God, when you die, you will not be standing with your sin, but you will be standing with his righteousness. So if that is you, please, please do not leave here without giving your heart to him. But for those of you who are believers, what does it mean that I can outsmart everyone else? We have a tendency to think that we can sin and nobody will ever find out about it. We can cover our tracks and when I go to church, nobody will ever know. They won't see it. They won't get it. And I'll be completely anonymous and it will never be found. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Now, I want to give you an example from when I was a little kid. When I was small, I used to love to eat sugar. I'm not talking about sugar in things. I love to eat sugar. So I would take the sugar canister. I'd take the lid off of it. I would get a spoon. And spoonful after spoonful after spoonful, I would just eat straight sugar. For some reason, my mom did not like that. 
She said something about health, energy, I don't know. So she's like, James, don't eat the sugar. So being a good, obedient young son, I never ate the sugar. Nope, that's not true. Because see, mom is not always around. So this is what I would do. I would... I knew where the sugar was at. I knew the canister. It was a tan canister. It had like a little mushroom plant thing on it and had a, a brown top. I remember this very well. I would look at exactly where that canister was and where the mushroom was as far as related to where it was at. Then when she wasn't around, I would pull it out. i take the lid off. And there used to be the old school plastic scoop weird looking thing that was like she put in there. And what I would do is I would memorize what angle it was at, and the landscape of the sugar. So then I would take it out. I would go get my spoon. I would then start eating, 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 eating. Then if I ate too much, I would go to the pantry and pull some sugar and pour it back in. I would get the landscape back exactly where it was, put the scoop back in an exact same angle, put it in, put it back, wash the spoon, done. Done. But here's the problem. After a while, you keep going to the pantry and filling up sugar. Guess what? You run out of sugar. <laughs> and when you're, you're like seven, you can't go buy sugar. So, you know, eventually you get found out. Um, but I went through all that trouble because I didn't want anybody to know. I wanted what I wanted to do, and I didn't want anybody to know about it. And I would love to tell you that's the only time I did something like that. That's simply not true. We somehow think that we can hide our sin from God. And from other people. But it doesn't happen. We get exposed. Somebody, somehow, some way, will find it out. If you want some biblical examples, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, David. David, who is a man after God's own heart, who is the king of Israel, who was the one who was leading his nation, was a righteous man so many ways. He's supposed to go to war. He doesn't. He stays back at the palace. He's up on the rooftop one day looking around, and he sees a woman bathing on her roof. Now, time out. This one's free. Ladies, don't bathe on your roof. (laughs) Solves a lot of problems right there. Um, That's free. But also, David sees it, doesn't bounce his eyes like he should, and ignore it. But it says, hey, um, I'm going to call her over here. Well, you know the rest of the story. They end up having an affair. And he sends her home and thinks nothing of it. Nobody will ever know. Her husband's on the battlefield. She becomes pregnant. He's like, uh-oh, i got to cover my tracks. So what does he do? He calls Uriah, her husband, home from the battlefield in hopes that that will cover up his sin. It'll make a good story. But Uriah is a man of character, and while his fellow soldiers are on the battlefield, he will not take go home. He will not um, enjoy the comforts of home. Instead, he says, no, I won't do that. David gets frustrated, tries all these different kind of things, but realizes he can't get him to break. So he sends Uriah back to the battlefield with the letter in hand. That letter finds its way into Joab, who was a terrible person anyways, and the letter says, hey, Joab, put Uriah at the front lines. Go to a heavy part of the battle. Stick him out in the front. Suddenly retreat and make sure he dies, and which he does. So now you have 
David, who has committed adultery, has lied, has stolen, and murdered. And he, then after Uriah is dead, he takes Bathsheba, makes him, makes her his wife. Okay, it's over. I've covered it up. Nobody will ever know what happened until Nathan comes along and calls him out as a prophet for his sin, and it breaks him. He thought he had covered all the bases, but he couldn't do it because his sin found him out. We cannot cover things up. A good example is Acts 5, um, but we don't have time to go through all that. But you know what I'm talking about because I believe that you're probably like me at times, where you think, I can just cover this up and nobody will ever know. But your sin will find you out. And it's prideful to think that I can fool everybody because you can't. And God says, you're just hurting and fooling yourself because your sin will find you out. But let's look at the next one. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. So number one, I can outsmart everyone else, and now we're going to go to number two. Matthew 11. And we're going to start in verse 2. Verse 2. Now when John, and this is John the Baptist, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Number two. I know better than God. I know better than God. We have John the Baptist who was the one who was foretold in the Old Testament to prepare the way for Jesus. He baptized Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, we're not talking about a ho-hum I might be a follower of Christ. This was a guy who was preparing the way proclaiming Jesus. When his disciples went to go follow Jesus, he said, he must um, increase and I must decrease. That's fine. He, he, he had it. He had it down. He is, he's there. But then he finds himself in prison. He stood up for truth and found himself in prison. And while in prison, he was probably thinking, you know what? I stood up for truth. That's okay. I'm in prison, but that's all right. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is rolling. His ministry is starting. And I might be here, but soon that door is going to open. I'm going to be out. And me and Jesus are going to establish the kingdom of God. And so he waits. And he waits. And he waits. And he waits. Nothing. And he gets to him. 
So much so that he starts wondering if this is even the Messiah. So he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus. Why would he do that? Why would that doubt creep into his mind? He was in prison and Jesus wasn't acting and doing the ministry he thought he should be doing. So he said, Jesus, are you even the Messiah? Because if you are, your ministry should look different. That's pride right there. And as much as I'd love to cast all the stones at John, the truth is in my own life, I have done the exact same thing. God, you have not answered my prayer the way I wanted to. God, you have not worked the way I wanted you to. God, you did something completely different than the way I wanted you to. And you shouldn't have done that. I know better. I know what's best for my life. I know what should have happened. I know what shouldn't have happened. Where are you at? I know better than God. That is pride. And this has eaten me up too many times. And I could give you example after example from my own life. But there's one that you're probably most familiar with. For those of you that have been around here for a while. Because after Jenny and I were married, we decided that we wanted to start a family. And it was taking longer than we wanted to. So we had to go to doctors. And we went and spent a lot of money and a lot of time. And we would get pregnant, and then we'd lose that pregnancy. We'd lose that baby. And then it happened again. And I remember, I'm going to be gut honest with you. I remember praying with God saying, God, you're wrong. I was, I had all these plans for my life, God. I was going to be a business lawyer. I was going to do all these things. And I was going to have all this money. And I gave that up for you. And now I'm here in North Carolina. And I'm a pastor at a church. And you can't give me a kid. That's all I want. Why are you not doing what I want you to? I know what's best. We need to have a kid. And it broke me that he wouldn't answer my prayer. Then the Lord led us to adoption. Adoption. And on January 11th, 2008... I held that little boy in my arms. Logan. I would have never known Logan if not for God not answering my prayer and doing what I thought I knew what was best. Because of that, I got to hold this boy. And I get to be his dad and love him and cherish him. Five years later, Megan comes. No said. <laughs> Megan comes. I would have never known her. How different would my life have been? But you see, I'm sitting there, I'm saying, God, you don't know what's best. I know better than you. Answer my prayer. Do it the way I want you to. And if you don't, then are you even God? And yet he had a plan bigger than I ever knew. And you think that I'd learn my lesson, right? No. Because 2020 comes around. Good old 2020. (laughs) And I get a call from Jenny that says, hey, you need to come home. I come home. 
which is really strange, not usual. And she pulls out a pregnancy test, and she says, look at it. And I did, and I was like, yeah, it says negative. And she says, no, it's positive. And look, this is where pride comes in. I'm like, no, it's negative. Have I haven't even taken a pregnancy test. I haven't read it. I said, no, it's negative. And she's like, no, it's positive. And then, like, she, you know, she's like, it's positive. And I'm like, God, well, this is, this is new. <laughs> um, I didn't expect this one, God. Didn't really, I really, really didn't expect this one. Um, you know, I'm doing math in my head. I'm like, okay, when this kid's born, I'm, or born, I'm going to be 42. And so then when they graduate high school, I'll be like 60. Hopefully they have wheelchair ramps at the graduation. Um, we just gave away all of our stuff. But here's the thing. Like, and I look at it now, but it's like, God, what are you doing? I had plans. I knew what was best for my life. God, don't, don't you? And it's prideful. It's prideful to think, I know better than God. And we, not, we might not say it that way, but in reality, that's what's in our hearts. That if God doesn't move or work in the way that we expect him to, then he is off and we just need to get him back in line with us. When that's completely false. God is the all-knowing. God knows what's best. God has it all under control. And he knows better than I ever did. So I need to trust in him. So that is a matter of pride to say, I know better than God. But let's go to the third one. Go to Luke 9. Luke 9. We are going to look at, start in verse 46, Luke 9, verse 46. We're going to read a few verses here. Then there arose a reasoning among them, and the them is the disciples. And arose a reasoning means, it's a nice way of saying an argument, which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, took a child, set him by him, and said unto him, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. So get the scene. Well, here, I'll give you the number three. I am better than others. I am better than others. Get the scene. You have the disciples who have all been called by Jesus. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. Who's the best. They're comparing each other. Hey, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. You know, like Andrew, like I was the first one called. Then Peter says, yeah, but you weren't up on the Mount of Transfiguration like I was. Then somebody else says, hey, Peter, the reason why you're up on the Mount of Transfiguration is because he can't keep his eyes off you because you're going to say something stupid. So, like, you know, and then, and then Judas is like, no, but you know what? He trusts me with the money, so I'm the best one. And then you have Bartholomew who's like, nobody knows who I am. <laughs> um, 
again, I said this before, I really want to talk to him because he's like the disciple that nobody, like he just kind of gets overlooked. But they're all arguing about who's the best, who's the best, who's the best. I'm better than you, you're better than me. I mean, I'm better than you. I did this, you don't do this. I did this. He said this to me. I did this ministry. I was here when he healed this person. No, I was here when, and they're all just arguing. And Jesus knows what's going on. And he takes a child and puts it in their midst. And a child in this culture was a nobody. They were like, Rabbis even said it was a waste of time for a man to speak to a child. And he says, you need to receive this child. You receive me and you receive my father sent me. He says, the least of you shall be the great. That means everybody's great. That means one disciple is not better than the other disciples because what? They were all called by Jesus. What makes them great is not what they have done, but what Jesus is doing in their lives. But then John who, you know, he's like pricing, well, I'm, I'm the beloved disciple. Um, he says, you know what, we were out ministering Jesus, and uh, we saw this guy over there, and he was doing stuff in your name, and he's not with us. So I told him, stop it. Aren't you proud of me, Jesus, because he's not with us? I told him to stop it. And Jesus, you know, probably face palms. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. You see, John thought that he was better Because he was part of this group. And this guy was not a part of that group. So he doesn't even deserve to minister. I'm the one that's close to Jesus. I'm better than you. And this happens to us all too often. And it can be implied in two ways. One way is that when we look at people who are not followers of Christ, we think that we're so much better than them because the way that we act and the things that we do We say, I can't believe that they would act in such a way. I can't believe they would say such a thing. May I remind you, but for the grace of God, you would do the same thing. We all come to Jesus at the foot of the cross, and we have nothing to claim but our own sin. And he forgives us and washes us and saves us. And that does not make me better than anybody else. It makes me saved and a recipient of grace that I did not earn. So, and how do we expect the lost world to act or react? So instead of saying, I'm so much better than you, we should pray for them. We should show them love and humility and grace. But it doesn't just stop there. It also happens within the church. It happens within churches and organizations where we find ourselves like John Hey, you're not a part of my church, I'm better than you. You don't believe exactly what I believe, I'm better than you. You don't participate in this ministry like me, I'm better than you. Hey, I read my Bible every single day of the week and you only read it twice, I am so much better than you. I witnessed to three people today and you didn't, I'm better than you. And we might not ever say it, but we feel it. And we think, I am so much better than all these other people because of what I've done. And we find ourselves with the disciples arguing about who's better. Let's pull out our resumes. And Jesus is sitting there looking at us and saying, if it weren't for grace and if it weren't for me, you'd be a sinner on your way to hell. And you want to talk about all that you can do. I've been here. I have lived here, guys where I've listened to other preachers and I've criticized their sermons. 
And instead of looking for how they can edify me, I want to prove how I'm better than them. They missed that point. They didn't make that right connection. They should have gone to this passage instead of that passage. They do ministry different than me. They're wrong. It's so easy to fall into this. Where we forget who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And instead of humbly coming to him and saying, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your grace. And then looking at others and seeing how God's grace is working at them. Instead, we turn everybody into a point of comparison. Again, I am chief among you. So I can outsmart everyone else. I know better than God. I'm better than others. What's the answer? Because that's a lot of bad news. It's easy to expose pride and sin. That's the bad news. What's the answer? I believe our answer is found in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. This is the answer for pride. James chapter 4. One simple verse in verse 6. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the, say it with me, humble. The answer to pride is grace. The answer to pride is grace. How do you receive grace? This verse tells you how you receive grace. It's by humbling yourself. Humbling yourself. What does that look like? If you go through these things, first one, think I can outsmart everyone. Well, obviously, if you are not saved, then you need to humble yourself and say, I cannot work my way to heaven. I cannot hold my life together. I am a mess, and God, I need you. And you come forward, and you give your heart to Christ, and he saves you. That is how you deal with that. But if you're listening, and you have this sin that you are covering up and thinking that you can fool everybody, The answer is to humble yourself. And how do you humble yourself? You confess it. You confess it to God, yes. But another way that you humble yourself is you confess it to someone else. When you do that, God gives you grace. In fact, in the Bible, it says that if you try to cover up, it will be exposed. But if you will expose it, he will cover it with his love and forgiveness. You see, the enemy thinks, has told you a lie, that you're the only one that has these problems, that you're all alone in your sin, and that is not true. But your first step is humbling yourself. Confession. Humbling yourself. And it might cost you your reputation. It might cost you, it might cost you, period. I'll just leave it at that. It might cost you. 
but it's worth paying the price because in that humility, you'll find forgiveness and grace and peace that you cannot exchange for anything. But what about the second one? I know better than God. Humble yourself and say, God, I don't have the best plan for my life. God, you know me and you know everything that's going to happen. And God, when you change things, instead of rising up against you, I'm going to humbly come and say, I will submit to your lordship. You'll have to do that in a continual pattern because it keeps coming back. Trust me. Humble. Just be humble. God, I don't understand it, but I'm coming before you and saying, God, I just want to submit to what you're doing. And then I'm better than others. You need to carry around humility and realize who you really are. Now you are a joint heir with Jesus and you are seated in the heavenlies and you have a mansion on the other side. But can I remind you that you won't have anything to do with that. That's what God has done for you. And you humbly remember that. Instead of trying to compare yourselves to others, you love them. You encourage You build up. It all starts with humility. And this verse says you humble yourself. Because if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. If you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And that can be a very painful process. And so I say this not to bring fear, not to, I'm encouraging you to come along with me in this journey of humility, a continual journey of humility. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And I'm going to ask our pastors to stand up here. And there's some of you here that need to give your heart to Christ. And these pastors would love nothing more than to open up God's word and show you how you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Or, if you just need to talk to a pastor about something, they'll be up here too. But these altars are going to be open. And it can be humbling coming to an altar when everybody's looking. But humility is what we've been called to do. And it's the first step of fighting pride, and it's the avenue through which grace comes. So I want to encourage you that however God has spoken to you, don't hesitate. Don't wait for others. Just come. Pray. Humbly. Before your God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts. And Lord, where pride has entered in, sometimes unknowingly to us, sometimes in full full knowledge, we've known it, but we just didn't want to deal with it. God, I pray that you'd expose it. And God, I pray, Lord, that through humility we might find the grace that you have available because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So, God, I pray that your spirit would move. 
Lord, I pray that you be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.